1: Welcome to Talk to Brazil with Tom Riak, the Business Connector to Business in Brazil. Welcome to Talk to Brazil, the Business Connection, the world's first English-language internet radio program about business in Brazil, uh, starting in 2009 and now in podcast format. I'm Tom Riak, an American living in Brazil for many years and known as the king of networking and talking from my studio in Campinas, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Today's guest is Gleb Cyperski, and he's talking with us today from Columbus, Ohio in the United States. Uh, Gleb is known as the disaster avoidance expert and is on a mission to protect leaders from dangerous judgment errors known as cognitive biases by developing the most effective decision-making strategies. He has over two decades of consulting, coaching, and training experience as CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts, and over 15 years of experience in academia as a cognitive neuroscience and behavioral economist. Dr. Sapersky writes for Inc. Magazine, Time, Scientific American, Fast Company, and Psychology Today, and is also a Vistage-certified speaker and best-selling author, and his new book is Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. So with that, hello and welcome to Talk to Brazil.
2: Thank you so much, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, I don't know really where to start, Gleb, but uh, we're in the middle, unfortunately, of maybe one of the largest disasters in recent history. Mm-hmm. But have you ever
2: had a timelier book than this one? I really haven't. And I wish it wasn't so timely. And unfortunately, there are so many folks who are calling me right now because our gut reaction, you know, the book is called Never Go With Your Gut, because our gut reaction is not adapted to dealing with disasters, whether in business or in other areas in the modern world. Now, our gut reactions are adapted to dealing with the savanna environment. That's yeah. what they're evolved for. When we were hunters and gatherers living in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people. So our main response to threats is the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. That's when we had to get away from that saber-tooth tiger know, jump at hundred shadows to get away from that one saber-tooth tiger. Our threats were intense, immediate, and in the moment. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the vast majority of business leaders and professionals and politicians and all sorts of leaders and ordinary people respond to the COVID-19 pandemic as though it's a saber-toothed tiger. Uh-huh. So you've seen people do panic shopping and go to the stores and buy up toilet paper. That's one response. <laughs> well, that's worldwide. That, that's amazing. But Exactly. The... <laughs> And in business, the same thing is happening, it's just less visible. Business leaders are implementing their emergency contingency plans. They're sending everyone home if they, or they're doing other things. Some people are completely denying that it's a problem, just saying it's a brief flu and that's all, and they are in, in a bad position too. So that's the, the first are the fight response. The second are the flight response who are fleeing from the information. Mm-hmm. Neither of these is the right response. These are both problematic responses, even though ones who are implementing their emergency plans, that's not a good response, Mm -hmm. because we're not an emergency. This is not an emergency. The COVID-19 pandemic, I mean, look at what's happening. It will be around for a very, very, very long time, especially in countries where the government is not doing a very strict, severe shutdown, clampdown, like in the United States or Brazil, where that's not really happening. So yeah, that, they're that, still
1: talking about it. They're, they're you know, sort they, of you like know, talking about how high the flood water is going to be.
2: Exactly. You know, is it going to overcome the dam by 50 meters or by 100 meters? Yeah, well, uh... you know, we, ne- we definitely know it's going to overcome the dam because of the precedent in other countries. You mm-hmm. know, if it happened in China, if it happened in Italy, if it happened in so many other countries, it's going to happen all over the world just because Of the nature of this disease, which is incredibly infectious Mm -hmm. and overwhelms hospital systems even in the best, most developed countries, therefore, it's going to overwhelm hospital systems, and it will be around for a very long time. There is no vaccine; will be created at least for the next eighteen months. Right, and that's if if it's created in eighteen months, which is the best case scenario, then it will take maybe about another year to produce enough of it for everyone to protect at least the vulnerable people and then distribute it and then vaccinate people. So that's going to be, in the best case scenario, two to three year period in worst case scenarios, more like five to seven, maybe up to 10 years. Mm-hmm. This is not an emergency. You can't function in emergency mode for two years. And this is what so many business leaders try are trying to do right now. They're thinking that they'll function in emergency mode. They can't. They have to accept that the, what's going on is the new normal. Mm-hmm. And our brain, it's very not adapted to accepting a major disruption as a new normal because of something called There are cognitive biases, which are the specific decision-making errors that we make as human beings because of how our brain is wired. And the one that's really problematic here is called the normalcy bias. Mm. Now, Mm. this is a pretty bad one. It causes us to assume that the future, that the medium-term future, the short-term future will be similar to today, to the immediate past. We can't process with our gut reactions with our feelings right. we can't com- be comfortable with the idea that our world is immediately in the moment changed in a major way majorly disrupted it doesn't compute and that is the big problem. We can logic ourselves into it, we can reason ourselves into it, but it doesn't feel comfortable to our gut. And so the people, the vast majority of people, vast majority of business leaders who go with their gut, who trust their intuition, are going to be making the wrong, bad decisions. And I see so many bad decisions being made right now by business leaders around the world, whether in the US, whether in Brazil, whether in other countries that uh, I'm familiar with, it's, they're making really bad decisions. And so I, I'm getting a number of calls, of course, from people who, are, who know me, who know my work, who are like, hey, how can, how can <laughs> we address this effectively? But, you know, like you said, there's uh, my, I've never had a book that was this timely, and I've had a number of books.
1: <laughs> and I know they're calling. They do not want to read the book. They just want to know what's on the last page, Right.
2: they no. they want (laughs) me to tell them how the book applies to their business because you know you could read stuff and you can listen to this podcast and that's great that's important yeah that's valuable to get the information but there's a different aspect to it you know hey but how do I apply this to right here right now in my business in the moment how do I solve this problem and there are obviously if you read the book you can learn stuff from it to Mm -hmm. solve the problems But, you know, many people don't have time to read the book. They should have read the book before the emergency, (laughs) before the crisis.
0: um, But (laughs) let let me ask you a
2: question. Uh, Is the gut
1: feeling the same across cultures? Or is it a different gut feeling, let's
2: say, Europe, U.S., Asia? It's actually pretty similar across cultures. Now, there is some research showing that there's differences. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, certain cognitive biases are more prevalent in in some cultures than others. But you'd be surprised by which ones. They're not intuitive at all. So, for example, the overconfidence bias. Now, all of us tend to be overconfident to one degree or or another. Mm -hmm. We tend to... think that our decisions are good, right, that we are smart, that we are wise. So, for example, uh, there's a famous study showing that looking at college students in the U.S. and asking them, hey, how many of you are above-average drivers? Are average, above-average, or below-average? And Mm -hmm. you'll see that 93% of them said that they are above-average drivers. (laughs) So, (laughs) very confident in their ability. But what's really interesting, so... I was looking at studies that compared business leaders from different cultures. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that surprisingly, I was surprised by this finding. It was very counterintuitive. The finding showed that business leaders in Japan and China tend to be more overconfident than business leaders in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I was surprised. I thought that the U.S. business leaders would be more overconfident. But there's something about the culture in China and Japan something about their culture that makes them overconfident even more than the business leaders in the U S mm. so it doesn't go in necessarily in the patterns that you wouldn't, you would expect. I
1: want to take your, your point of driving and then bring that culturally to Brazil. Uh, mm. Brazil has a, it, this is one of the discussions actually that's going, going on here that more people, unfortunately in Brazil die from automobile accidents. Mm-hmm. And what they think will die from from the virus, yes, and that's sort of a trade off, and that just goes to show the uh, overconfidence. Most of the accidents here are by, they're caused by the drivers, and, mm-hmm. and everybody thinks you know it's somebody else is going to have the accident, but here we're talking about <laughs> you know thousands and thousands of deaths, yeah. and one of the things that has shown up, just taking your example, uh, with the, the People staying at home, there has been abrupt reduction of automobile accidents. Yeah. And yep. the plus side is that it's freed up because most of the intensive care units here are full of either car drivers or motorcycle mm-hmm. drivers who have had, mm-hmm. you know, high trauma accidents, and they are the persons who have filled up the intensive care. Yeah. And so in these last two weeks, what was found was that there are fewer accidents, and so they freed up space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you get back to that point, Brazilians just think it's not going to happen to them. As today, (laughs) many think think that they're not going to get the virus.
2: Yes, yep, exactly. So that overconfidence,
1: that's not only for business leaders, that's for people in general.
2: It is, uh, and it shows up for everyone. So there's a famous study showing that if people say they're 100% confident about something, they're right only about 80% of the time. So that means if you will bet the house, if you'll bet your career, you know, if you're going to bet it all on the roll of the die, you will <laughs> lose it all. You, you will lose it all one fifth of the time. So if you make five bets like that, you know <laughs> you're going you're going to lose one of them. Right. You're definitely going to lose the house and your career, your business. That's why people are people make bad decisions, and that's one mm-hmm. of the many ways that they make bad decisions. So we talked only about two of them: the overconfidence bias and the normalcy bias. And there, are, my book talks about the 30 most dangerous cognitive biases, dangerous judgment errors that behavioral economics and neuroscience has found cause us to make these really terrible decisions that result in whether motorcycle deaths or businesses going bankrupt or really bad career decisions. Those are all serious issues. And of course, government leaders making some bad decisions as well. Here in the U.S., we had a problem called denialism um, in our president, Ah, where he for a long time... For about six weeks, denied the reality of COVID-19, said, "Oh, it's just you know a flu. It's not a big deal. Right. We got it all covered." Well. In recent weeks, he changed his tune and said, you know, we'll be lucky if we hold it down to 100,000 deaths. Right. Now, 100,000 deaths, that's an imaginable number. These are, that, that that's worse than World War II for the United States, mm-hmm. the Korean War, mm-hmm. terrible, terrible wars. And this is what the president is saying now. We'll be lucky if we hold it down to that. When previously, he said- Not even lucky. Like, oh, yeah,
1: he's saying he considers it a victory.
2: Yes, exactly. Yep. Yep you will consider it a victory. So there you go. That's exactly right. And that is an example of denialism. Now, denialism is one of the cognitive biases. The specific term for it is called the ostrich effect. And Mm. it's named after the mythical notion that the ostrich puts uh, their head in the sand when they Mm -hmm. see a threat. So it's called the ostrich effect. And there was a study done by Leadership IQ of 1,087 board members that fired their CEOs of 286 organizations. What they found was that one-fifth of the leaders who were fired, the CEOs, 23% were fired for denialism, for mm-hmm. denying negative information about external reality. Mm-hmm. That's what they were fired for. That that was the pure thing. That was their fault. And there are so many business leaders who are like that, who think that because they are good leaders, therefore the company must be doing well, and all of this information about some potential problems is 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 irrelevant, it's not a big deal, you know, COVID-19 will not infect anyone in our company, right. it's just a myth, it's just a hoax, it's just the flu, things like this. There are so many business situations where leaders treat the situation in a very bad way.
1: Let me ask another question, Is this gut orientation, is it gender Oriented, oriented. Is this a, is, is a no. metro
2: thing or? No, no. You have women. You have men. You have uh, everyone. People. If they're not taught to not go with their gut they will because going with your gut is the inherent feeling of comfort it's doing what you're comfortable with it's doing what you feel like doing you know it's the same thing so again this the fight I told talked about the fight or flight response coming from the savanna environment we also in the savanna environment we needed to eat as much sugar as possible in order to survive mm-hmm. so when we came across a source of sugar whether honey bananas we needed to eat all of it in order to survive we're the descendants of those who have a very strong fight-or-flight response and those who are able to stuff their face when they saw got <laughs> across a source of sugar. <laughs> so now, when you see a box of dozen donuts or whatever, other cookies, you know, that are come cookies, 50 cookies in a box, you should not eat the box of 50 cookies. You should eat, you know, maybe one or two cookies, one or two donuts, not a dozen donuts, <laughs> not a 50 cookies. But when you start eating them, it's incredibly hard to stop right. because the impulse turn the instinct the gut reaction turns on and it tells you you should eat all of these because you need to it feels very pleasant it feels very comfortable so it's just as hard to not eat all the cookies not eat all Mm. the donuts as it is to make a good decision in business or life that doesn't go with your gut to deny to accept that covid 19 is going to be a big threat even though it feels very uncomfortable and then intuitive to accept that it will be a big threat. So it's a very big deal. It's not easy. A lot of people spend a lot of their life trying to lose weight, Mm. trying to fight with obesity and just as much we need to spend. So that's physical fitness. Just as much effort we should spend on mental fitness, making sure to make the right mental decisions, get ourselves fit for this modern world. Not do the primitive, savage, natural thing, but do the civilized thing, the one that you need to survive in the modern environment. And so few people do that, whether they're men, whether they're women.
1: I want to bring back the donuts. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're talking to, you know, more recently what we see in a lot of the startups, right? The scaling up, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I see maybe is what's happening is that, you know, a dozen donuts and uh, everybody's saying that a startup needs to scale up. Uh, is, is that part of the same thing happening in business person's brains that they well we will we you need to expand and scaling up you have to grow <laughs> and i have to get more money i have to get a billion of whatever quickly mm. is that yes, part well, of ask,
2: eating 12 donuts uh, ask SoftBank and we work yeah, that. i was <laughs> gonna say that but uh, yes yes it is so it it's is. the same thing uh, well, it is it's, it's same not thing donuts it is. but it's the same driving
1: factor that's what's yes. moving the brain yes.
2: around Exactly, it's a desire to get more resources, more, 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 and sometimes the desire leads in exactly the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Now, on the base level, let me just be clear, there's the desire for more is not a bad thing that helps bring forward business it's the basis for capitalism it's not a bad thing it's a bad thing when it leads to the wrong direction just like the desire for food is not a bad thing you know when people get sick and aren't able to eat they waste away that's not great you need food so you need some motivation to eat that because your motivation comes from somewhere to do something like like a company you don't need to be obese right you just uh, exactly exactly grow, and the be same healthy, thing for, be agile yep. right yeah and the same thing you know maybe we work should have stopped at uh, some level <laughs> and not gone so much into debt and then it should have figured out an effective profitable business model that would actually make sure that it's profitable rather than focus on growth 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 and we see the consequence of this focus on growth 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 right now where it's quite likely to go bankrupt now that softbank has pulled out right
1: no I always saw that actually I Follow that more or less closely here because uh, you had the effect of uh, co-working Uh, that Mm -hmm. started up. And and as they came here and started up, they're getting really high priced uh, uh, real estate, uh, really fancy environments. Uh, and what they tried to attract, and then maybe that's back to the people they were trying to attract also needed more donuts. I'm not really sure. But, uh, <laughs> uh, no, the first, ever, you know, sort of the, the herd thing. People started going, uh, but then all of a sudden you realize how much it cost. Yes. And then yeah. uh, you had competition, you had other things, and then you have most of the startups don't have money even to pay for the uh, the rent, so... <laughs> so you can yes. you know look at the donuts but you, you really can't buy 12
2: donuts you don't have the money <laughs> yes exactly and they were not prepared for any sort of major disruption which eventually would come you know we work was barely floating by in a very quickly booming expanding economy mm-hmm. when the stock market was the best it's ever been it was very vulnerable to any sort of disruption. If it, there was no COVID-19, but just a, a regular recession, which occasionally right. happens, WeWork was incredibly vulnerable. Uh, that was was very clear. SoftBank was very vulnerable, and we see that it's a combination of people not wanting to go to co-working because of COVID-19 and a recession combined. Of mm-hmm. course, they'll take them out. I mean, WeWork has no chance.
1: But that same effect, I see that in the stock market there in the States and here. Uh, Because here in Brazil, the stock market goes up, the dollar goes down. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the next day it can change. But everything is so, the volatility is nothing new here in Brazil. Brazil has been volatile for a long time. Uh, But again, that's the driver. The the Mm -hmm. approach of uh, and in Brazil, you step on the gas and you keep stepping on it. And then when somebody decides <laughs> to stop, then it's both feet on the brake. So there's no middle term. How how does a person handle this gut feeling and stay in the middle of the road? Is that possible?
2: It very much is. And what I wanted to talk about is specific decision-making models that you can use mm. to manage your decisions, to make sure that you make good decisions. There are two decision-making models that allow you to address the large majority of cognitive biases automatically by just going through them mm-hmm. now you should know about the cognitive biases and see and the decision-making models involve knowledge about them but by going through them you address the large majority of them they'll help you keep to the middle of the road making the right decisions that ni- neither obese nor wasting away mm-hmm. so one is for quick decisions with everyday decisions that you don't want to screw up this is not meant to get you the best perfect decision it's meant to minimize disasters mm-hmm. avoid risks first What important information didn't I yet fully consider? So asking five questions that help you make about any decision. So first, what important information didn't I yet fully consider? Mm -hmm. So let's say you're writing an email to an important client it's very tempting to ignore information that the client will not do what you want them to do and i know this as a management consultant so this is very easy (laughs) to ignore this information but this is called the confirmation bias where we tend to ignore information that goes against our beliefs and look only for information that confirms our beliefs in order to fight it you need to ask what information goes against my beliefs? Try Mm -hmm. to disprove your initial assumptions, your initial ideas. Mm -hmm. So for example, for the email to the client, think about what might make a client not do what you want them to do. Mm -hmm. And then revise your email to address these points in advance. Mm -hmm. That will make your email much stronger and make it much more likely for the client to do what you want them to do. Second, What dangerous judgment errors cognitive biases didn't I yet address? So, of course, you should know about the cognitive biases and which of them might be involved. If you're, for example, dealing with the future disruption, knowing about the normalcy bias is going to be really important for you. So you need to know about them. Third, what would a trusted and objective advisor suggest I do? So think about that little angel on your shoulder. What would they suggest you do? Well, Tom mentioned that I'm a Vistage speaker. That's a Vistage group. is a group of peer executives who give each other support and managed by a chair who give each other support. So you can think about if you're part of a Vistage group or another group of peer executives, right. what they would tell you to do. So think about those things. Fourth, how have I addressed all the ways this could fail? Let's talk about the email think let's say somebody is stuck at home right now due to covid-19 they're working at home and their kids are crawling all over them maybe they're going to be very distracted and in a bad mood right so read, oh, probably <laughs> yeah exactly so read the email as though you're distracted and as though you're in a bad mood and revise it to address all the possible negative interpretations of it and to draw attention to the most important parts of the email mm-hmm. Finally, what new information would cause me to revisit this decision? What would cause you to change your mind? So, for example, with the email, you can have a revision point. Let's say in a week, if you haven't heard from your client, you decide you commit to calling your client. And then you let it go. You go on to doing your other work. Otherwise, you're going to be waiting and thinking about the email. You know, what should you do? Maybe you should email your client again. Maybe you should call them, text them, whatever if you don't make that decision revision point but if you have that revision point you just let it go and you go forward that really helps you make better decisions so asking those five questions and i talked through them in a couple of minutes Mm -hmm. asking those five questions about any decision will really help decrease the serious problems that you can suffer from making a decision error and the email example is realistic i trust me i i made some errors and communicating to clients before I knew about this method and had knowing this method was very helpful.
1: Well, I agree with you, but I, and back to your first point of what important info didn't I fully consider? Uh, and I think we sin on that point because we tend to overemphasize what we already know. And we, we start off trying to sell that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we don't really realize or think of what we don't know. And yes. I think that's where, and maybe that's back to what you were saying. People don't want to admit that they don't know because we, we feel we need to say that we know everything. And if you're a CEO, <laughs> you're a, a manager, director, people think you know. Uh, yes. And then you have to come across, say, you know, I don't know. Uh, and, and that seems to be part of the problem. But I think that the the step-by-step process, and that process could be accelerated, right?
2: Of course, yes. It can definitely be accelerated. You can ask for it quicker and so on, but it only takes a couple of minutes to ask these questions, right. and it's very useful. But the point is to have them, to have a process, a thinking process, yes. right? Exactly. To have a thinking process. And of course, it's what I do with my clients, what they find very helpful is to make sure that everyone in their company uses the same process mm-hmm. so that you know that, hey, everyone is using the same questions, then you can ask them what kind of what were your answers to this question about this decision? If you ever need to investigate a decision, you know, hold somebody accountable Or if you're part of a team decision-making process, the agenda for a meeting is structured using these five questions. And that, of course, helps you have a much more efficient meeting than just talking about a decision for hours without coming to any sort of conclusion.
1: I think that point, too, is important of the team approach. And I think that starts with having the team and understanding you need a team because you really can't know everything. Mm -hmm. So you have to plug in specialists or outside
2: advisors. You, You do need that help. You do. And that's the Vistage example was one example. You definitely need that. And it's the best leaders create a culture and environment where they are explicitly humble about their knowledge. Mm-hmm. They develop a culture of humility and say, hey, I don't know this stuff. You, everyone, are the experts in your fields. I expect you to report to me what I need to know, but don't expect me to be the one who knows it. The, oh, right. And it's, very different, it's right. very different from the typical organizational culture where the CEO is in the Savannah environment terms, the mm. alpha monkey in the room. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and I agree with that.
1: That's one of the things I always feel because like, I'm a, a, a Vistage member here in Campinas. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, you, you have a group, uh, and in your, your peer group, you uh, really agree to not have commercial relations amongst yourself. So mm-hmm. that starts out. But the, the point that you made is really important here, and what, what we've done and continue to do is agree on what we don't know, and then bring in a trusted, certified speaker like yourself. Bring in somebody who knows. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the process, and that's the way it always goes. Yeah. So we agree that we don't know, we agree that we have a problem, but bring in somebody who knows. And exactly. we see that in m- many companies, they don't do that. So, <laughs> unfortunately.
2: Unfortunately, well, that's why many companies are unfortunately failing (laughs) or unfortunately struggling suffering and many of them will be wiped out by the COVID 19 and the recession that comes with it if they aren't making long-term changes to their business model and their business plans right now because this will be a long-term situation and the companies that are not thinking long-term that are thinking emergency they will suffer no but
1: i'm sure there are companies out there that are thinking and my personal Mm -hmm. belief is that uh It's the same thing as a brush fire, a forest fire. After it's all burned out, uh, things grow again. And uh, the strong survive. And those persons Mm -hmm. who have had the understanding and some preparation for disasters come out of it. So it's
2: not the end of the world. Of course it's not the end of the world. And it's about being wise and smart about the kind of decisions you're making right now. Because the decisions that you're making right now will shape the course of your actions Throughout the next mm-hmm. several years, as the pandemic goes forward, so it's about the earlier you make the right decisions, the less resources you have to spend on correcting your screw-ups. <laughs> That's a good point.
1: <laughs> Very good. Well, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of our time. We're not coming to the end of the disaster, no. but uh, I'm, I'm certainly I know that people need to know more about what you're purveying. And as I said, there's nothing more timely than, than this book right now. And I think the advantage of now is to think about this, of how companies and how business leaders want to come out the other side. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if you, and I know many of our listeners have time to sit down and read right now uh, (laughs) to gather the information. So I think that's the point. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right.
1: So I want to thank you for being part of our show today and sharing, uh, I do hope that we can, in the future, come back and talk about the day after. huh?
2: I very much hope so.
1: So, Gleb, tell our our listeners, the best place to find you is on LinkedIn, right? And I'm going to spell your name for our listeners, G-L-E-B. The last name is T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y, Sipursky. Find him on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And the book, you can find the book on disasteravoidanceexperts.com. Slash never gut, right? That's exactly right. So, again, disaster avoidance slash never gut. You find your way to the book, you find your way to Gleb, you find your way to these five questions and a whole lot more. Uh, and really, a book chock full of, of important information of how to come out the other side, right?
2: That's absolutely right. Thank you, Tom.
1: The I only thing is, you. you you don't give anybody twelve donuts with the book, do
2: you? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't want to tempt them into into disastrous overeating. <laughs> Maybe six donuts. No. <laughs> no. Sorry. Right. But you are
1: available for webinars. Besides the book, you're you're available for speaking engagements for webinars. That's right. Yes, you So not right out, now you are available to be. Uh, call up, listen to, and, and obviously help people and companies at this time, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I've done a number of webinars in Brazil and other Latin American countries with someone doing live translations for me. So that's always something that I'm happy to do.
1: Very good. So thanks again for being with us, Gleb. Thank you so much
2: for having me on, Tom. Okay.
1: I'd like to thank our audience and our sponsor, Focus MI Market Intelligence. Focus MI specializes in market research for the Brazilian agricultural market. And more about them on their site, which is www.focusmi.com. You can visit our website, www.talktobrazil.com, and that's Brazil with a Z. And you'll find our previous shows of Talk to Brazil. So remember, when you talk to Tom, you talk to Brazil and the world. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Tom Riock on Talk to Brazil, the business connector to Brazil.